Hello and welcome to Damn, Doug's Acute Mental Neuroses. My name is Doug, and these are my mental acute shit. Alrighty, starting out with a bang. Um, there are going to be some long-form thoughts on this one, so I'm going to get into just a few short ones, and then we'll dive right into the, uh, the deep dive, the Marianas Trench of my history. Secret Origins Part, I don't know, three, four, whatever it is, doesn't matter. And then pipe sounds. Oh, the pipe sounds. Those damn pipes. Danny boy, they are a calling. I did get uh, Deb a birthday present early. Uh, her birthday is not till August, so it's about almost three months early. Uh, I got her How Did This Get Made tickets. Uh, it's a podcast hosted by Jason Manzukis, Paul Shear, and June Diane Raphael. Uh, all of them have been on The League. All of them are on Big Mouth. Uh, they're all very funny. They're all in the Disaster Artist, uh, and they got in there by doing this podcast, and that podcast basically just tears apart bad movies. Uh, it is hilarious. I highly recommend. Um, one of the newer episodes was they tear apart the Rodney Dangerfield vehicle, Ladybugs, with uh, huge, huge influence and huge fan. Uh, I am of guest Patton Oswalt. It's great. It, it makes you realize how fucked up that movie is even though you have such fond, fond memories of it if you're of a certain age. Um, but I bought her tickets. That's They're doing two live shows for the High Plains Comedy Festival in Denver, put on um, in no small part by friend of the show, Adam Caton Holland. And, and I've known Adam for a while, uh, and I'm going to get into that later on. Uh, so I'm, I'm psyched. I mean, it's got a question mark by the note, because it's like, how did this get made tickets? Like, I don't know the, you know, the, the tickets. Uh, I'm, I'm unaware of uh, their status, their state of being, of existence. But I know that they exist digitally on my phone using an app I've never used called Flash Tickets. It's all right. It's kind of like Fandango for, like, you know, concert tickets. Um, you get, like, a email and QR code and all that crap. Um, but I'm psyched. Uh, I'm going to be going to see Doug Loves Movies on Mother's Day this Sunday with my mom. It's going to be a blast. I've already got my um, name tag ready. I'm just going to go get it printed and mounted. It's going to be fucking massive uh, so that I hopefully get picked or at least talked about on the podcast on Douglas Movies, not this one. I just talked about it on this one, so that's, yeah. Um, so I'm excited for that. That's that's in uh, late August. I don't, I mean, that's not really a, a thing, uh, to bring up, I mean, I guess as I get closer to August, I'll talk about how excited I am and wonder if the dog barking in the background is getting picked up on the microphone. Um, Fire of Doing. Yes, I've been knocking out my to-do list already. My personal to-do list today, uh, already over half done. The network to-do list is totally done, um, and it goes into a Fire of Doing for the network in terms of I finally finished that fear illustration that's been bugging me for two weeks. Came out great, love it. I ended up using a certain set of brushes for Photoshop that creates these um, like lightning and electric effects, and I used the very basic tools uh, that it came with, and I have not explored it fully, and it's on my notes uh, for later in the next couple weeks to read the. It, they came with a fucking instruction manual to figure out how to to, to do more to run what's called actions in uh, Photoshop. So I'm excited for that, but. That fear piece, the third way I talked about last week, um, finally all came together, 
after a bit of a headache where I had worked on it two days ago and thought I almost had it finished. I just had to do this like background piece to it. And I'd gotten uh, the lightning, uh, the, this electricity uh, effect done. And I was working on this other effect. And I got it exactly how I wanted it. And I loved it. And I'd spent like two and a half hours working on just this one facet. And, uh, and then I saved it. And then I you know, quit out of the program and went to go look at the preview. The next day I realized it hadn't saved to the master image, losing two and a half hours worth of work. So the next day I had to go and sit down and, and have lunch somewhere and just knock that back out for about another two and a half, three hours. But I got it exactly how I wanted it, and it looks great. And I've got the next one, at least in my head, um, for two out of the three characters that are going to appear in the piece. Like I said, the next couple of the fear illustrations are like these like ensemble group shots, uh, and those drive me insane because the characters have wildly different uh, but wildly visual, like, superpowers or, or post-human abilities um, that they call them in the, in the, in the book. So, it's, it's, you know, it's breaking my brain both in bad and good ways. Good ways, it's like, yeah, I've got this idea and it's going to work and, you know, I'm going to birth that brain baby. Um, bad ways is, you know, it's, it's stress when things don't save. It's stress when something's not coming out the way I want. It's stress when... I, I don't have it in my head, and I procrastinate, and I put it off, but sometimes doing that, it kind of percolates in the back of my brain, um, you know, put it on the back burner of my uh, brain kitchen, I said on an episode of Mr. Right, I um, recorded right before this, and uh, it worked, it kind of kind of came into its own, um, you know, the way that ideas come to you in the shower or on the can, um, it's your brain's always working on that problem, whether you consciously know it or not. But so fire of doing, I also tweaked Black Falls, wrote another piece for it, and tweaked it. Um, very happy, very weird, dark, um, partially autobiographic. So, uh, and that, it, it wraps up a loose end from, I think, season one or two. Um, and this is, I'm, I'm working on season five. So, I'm looking forward to working on the next, you know, the last half of season five, um, once again, it's going to be tying up a loose end on one episode and setting up season six in the next one. And then I think I might I might feasibly do a fifth piece um, if, if I can work it into the theme, which really only lends itself to four parts. But I think I can kind of massage it into five. Uh, and it won't be like part one and part two. Like it'll be its own standalone like every episode of Black Falls is, um, even though you do need to kind of know what's going on in previous seasons. It's not like you can just drop in. I mean, you could, and you'd be like, wow, this is fucking weird and creepy, and I don't understand what's happening, but maybe that's a good thing. It's like when writers just drop you into this world without any context. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But this isn't Mr. Right, and I'm not here to talk about that. Though I might have to write that down as a note. So I feel good about getting everything done. And now, Secret Origins. Let's start with, uh, well, shit. Let's go chronologically, I guess. Um, these are two more of the influential albums from that dumb Facebook thing um, that I'm kind of using to not necessarily pad the episodes, but I think give a bit more of an insight into who I am, um, as I don't really... I do that with all the you know mental neuroses and what I'm doing and what's going on, but you don't really have a whole lot of backstory on me. If I would have you know, started Damn Now, I kind of probably would have had a couple episodes of introductory to me and this is who I am and I'm sure I would have come up with episodes later and going oh I need to explain this more oh I forgot that um and now we're at like you know episode 236 and I'm like oh yeah so there was this 
time, uh, for like almost 10 years, that really shaped me, and I've never talked about it. What's gonna, what I'm gonna talk about after the whole CD, uh, albums thing. So, look, I'm already getting distracted by my own notes. The next two CDs, albums, whatever you want to call them, um, tapes, if you're old enough, though I don't think either of these came out on tape. Um, they weren't on, like, Victor Rolla wax rolls or anything. Uh, Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. Oh, man, this was a game-changer of an album. Not only in the music scene, the rise of industrial that shaped me, and, you know, I, I ran with, like, the punks and the metalheads in, in high school, and Pretty Hate Machine was, you know, my introduction into Nine Inch Nails. You know, I would sense probably one of my favorite albums, even though it's kind of an EP, is uh, the... Um, Broken EP, probably my favorite release by them of all time. Downward Spiral is good, but I think it's a little, um, it's it's like saying Greatest Hits is your favorite album by a band. I mean, there's there's really good stuff. I mean, Reptile is awesome. So, uh, anyway, uh, but Pretty Hate Machine uh, was fen a phenomenal album by Nine Inch Nails. Also kind of shaped me, not only musically and what I like, but shaped part of my creativity in that Trent Reznor did that album by himself, for the most part. And it was one of those where I went, you can make music by yourself? Like, with the rise of techno... I'm sorry, I just blew an eyelash, and I'm sure the mic caught it up. <laughs> uh, I was blowing an eyelash off my keyboard and making some kind of wish, I guess. Isn't that what you do? I guess at a certain time or something? Or if you find an eyelash and you blow it off your computer? Is that... Yeah, I think that's the... Yeah, anyway. You know, I was like, oh, with, with the rise of, like, you know synthesizers and electronics in music in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, uh, becoming uh, available and affordable, you have that rise of, like, 80s new wave and all the synth pop shit, but, you know, in terms of industrial, you once had, had that rise where you could make music all by yourself, and you had a drum machine and a keyboard, and you could just record yourself and mix it all down, and everything was affordable, and maybe not easy, but, I mean, you could just create layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of what you wanted to have put out into the world, um, sonically. And I think that was like, I went, oh, I don't need to worry about, I can't find a drummer, or I need a guitarist who can do this, or I need to pick up an instrument and learn how to play it. I mean, I think there's an art to, you know, programming and writing your own music. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. Um, but in that, I could do it myself. I didn't have to find others to facilitate our vision, my vision, and that's not to say that's you know I'm I'm shitting on bands or collaborative anything. I'm not doing that either. I'm, but I'm saying it's like if I had an idea for a song and I'm sitting right here in my office and I went, I'm gonna start programming that. Nothing could stop me. It's not like I have to go. Oh, I have an idea for a song and now I've got to talk to my guitarist and my drummer and my whoever and let's you know write this down or I can record it. Me going or whatever, and then, you know, give it to them and go, like, make that sound like me not having a stroke. I think it, it, it a game changer. I mean, I started, I, I remember I bought propeller heads. Um, fuck, I can't think of the name of the program off the top of my head. I think it was called Rebirth. Very early propeller head software for writing drums. Uh, I turned It turned out, I didn't do this on purpose, I swear, that Trent Reznor uses it, and I can actually hear the certain effects and drums from it on, I believe, the dual disc, The Fragile. But it was a game changer in terms of music and creativity for that. The second album I'm going to talk about is Flood by They Might Be Giants. Um, yeah, two very disparate albums on this. 
uh, they might be giants. Lyrically, was like, whoa, what the fuck are they singing about? A birdhouse in your soul? And let me filibuster vigilantly and hot cha, where are you? Everybody's eyes are closed. You know, left the bacon, you know, burning in the. It's like they were just singing about the weirdest, nerdiest, in my opinion, coolest shit. Like it was just so. It was like this, like, structured jazz word salad um, that was just crazy. I remember listening to specifically that album uh, and, like, hanging out with my friends in, like, middle school playing Magic the Gathering, you know, in an empty classroom on a, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. And it, to this day, like, I still love They Might Be Giants. It was my first introduction to them. It's, like, one of their biggest albums. Uh, it is, like, saying I like their greatest hits. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I mint, mint car or something. Maybe that's a cure song. I don't know, but they've got, um, severe tire damage is a really good album too. Even their kids albums are great. Uh, why does the sun, uh, why does the sun shine? And it's a whole song about literally like the nuclear fission of the sun. It's phenomenal. Um, so that, that really did shape me in terms of just being super fucking weird. Um, and, and, you know, well, I'd say eccentric, but rich people are eccentric, poor people are weird and strange and off-putting at times. I think I'd be strange and weird and off-putting at times, even if I was rich. I don't think they'd call me eccentric. I think I'd be a fucking weirdo. Lastly, my time at Paris. You know what? I'm, I'm already at, this is going to be another, you know, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to get right into it. Give me a long episode. Um, there was this place called Paris on the Platte. It was on 15th and Platte in what's now called Lodo or Lower Downtown. Um, but back then, it was like Skid Row CD. Um, it was this hub of counterculture. It was very cult of personality. It was great. It was a great place. You had punks and metalheads and hipsters and some weirdo making chainmail armor in the corner and people playing wizard's chess, which is a thing and it's very complicated. I'm not going to explain it because A, I don't know that much about it and B, it's really complicated, and I'm not going to talk about it. Google it. It's very strange. But you had this, this, you know, and film school dropouts and, you know, college, you know, um, wannabe intelligentsias, you know, talking about Jean-Paul Sartre and, you know, what does it mean to be, a, you know, a soul and, you know, whatever. People reading Camus, you know, in the same, next to a person who's reading, you know, um... Grant Morrison Batman comics. It, it was it was a great place. Uh, you could smoke in there. It was awesome. But it was kind of this counterculture hub in Skid Row. In that area, and I'll get just pinch a picture real quick, there was like a, an abandoned like viaduct where all the punkers got like, you know, drunk and stoned. Um, at one point, there was a Guatemalan street gang that was decapitating homeless people because apparently they don't like homeless people. Like it was, it was kind of a rough neighborhood. Uh, it has since become completely gentrified. There was, there's condos and an eco-friendly dry cleaner and a dispensary and all sorts of shit now. But I started going there when I was 16 uh, and immediately fell in love with it. Some of my closest friends uh, that I'm, I'm sorry, I don't hang out with them as much. I've, you know, kind of been hermit thanks to my situation. Um, but some of my closest friends I've met there or um, that's where we bonded, all of that. My friend, I had a really good friend named Rob who at first like really hated it. He's like, no, I want to go out and do something. I don't want to sit there and drink coffee and talk. And then like after a while, he's like, oh, I totally get it. Like you just sit there and drink coffee and talk and you hang out. And at Paris, that's when I started 
uh, writing and drawing my own comics and really finding, you know, my feet, my teeth in terms of writing and reading and influences from, you know, friends and coworkers about, you know, music and books and movies uh, that would shape me. And I worked there for eight years. Uh, I started as a dishwasher. I was only supposed to work there for like a handful of months in the summer. But then this cook, whose name I don't remember, left. And uh, one of the cooks, Nate, had like cross-trained me on food because he needed, he needed me to cook when he was going to take smoke breaks. And when this other guy left, fuck, it's going to drive me nuts. I can't think of his name. It was a really weird name, too. Um, when he left, they went, well, Doug's already cross-trained. Let's just keep him on. And I worked there for eight years. I worked my way up to general manager. I love that place. It's it's a part of me. I was a part of it. Um, one of the owners was is writing, like, a book about it and was, like, um, mining me for, you know, stories. And I'm like, well, it's in my early 20s when I worked there. Um, so, you know, all of the stories involve, you know, uh, drugs and debauchery and starting fight clubs and finding love. Um, one of, uh, my long-term relationships started there. Uh, I dated a girl uh, that I met there, uh, that worked there as well for two and a half years. It was the first girlfriend I ever lived with. Uh, I almost proposed to her. Um, it was a, you know, a breakup that, uh, that shaped me. Um, I'll still remember the day we broke up and not only like just the events, but the day itself, because it was a national holiday. We broke up on 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. But like those times, those people that I met, I still, Deb, I met Deb through, through Paris on the Platte. Um, she worked there for a couple months and I've since incepted her into all eight years I've been there. So without Paris, you know, this might not exist because I would never have met Deb. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got friends in common. Um, I might have come across her, but we wouldn't have been as close as we are now and started a business and, you know, 250 odd, you know, odd episodes of No Applause Just to Clap Later and, you know, 236 episodes of this, you know, coming out of it. Uh, all of this. I mean, the network wouldn't exist without me meeting Deb and that happened to Paris on the Platte. Um, I love it. I mean, all of my close friends and their their wives, their children people I dated people I mean it's like and, and it was surrounded by bars so it was like a high social thing where it's like okay we're out of work where are we gonna I mean it was downtown so it's like you could work the short shift like a 5 30 to 9 make beer money and then you know on a Saturday go down to like South Broadway or up and down you know 15th and go see a concert or meet up at a bar and hang out with friends and meet new people maybe go home with a dude or a lady um depending on you know which way you swing it, it shaped me. I was there for eight years. I've never worked at a job for that long. And literally, I, I ran into a, um, I had a friend that worked there, one of the Andrews, and um, he ended up moving to the East Coast, and he came back to visit. We were hanging out and talking, and we went to, you know, went out to, um, like, breakfast after the place closed, because it was a late-night coffee shop. We closed at, like, 2, 3 in the morning. So we go to, like, diners or this uh, awesome late-night um, Middle Eastern place called Jerusalem's, or Jeru's, I call it. And we were talking, and he was like, you know, moving is great, and, you know, it's a change of whatever, and he now owns, like, two bars in New York. It's great. I'm so glad, so proud of him. But um, he goes, don't quit, get fired. Like, don't don't ever leave this place. It's this weird little perfect bubble. And that perfect bubble eventually popped through two, two ways that bubble popped was, one, um, I left. The owners wanted to change with the times, the gentrification, uh, they closed the bookstore that was attached to it and opened a wine bar. Good move. I mean, phenomenal. I supported that wholeheartedly. Sold way more booze than they ever sold books. 
but I, you know, was trying to turn the place around, make it more profitable, really. Um, and they, you know, didn't, they wanted to experiment more, which would have ended up costing them a lot of money. And they wanted to eliminate the smoking. This is when the smoking ban in Denver happened. And I said, well, you, your grandfather did this loophole and you don't have to. And this is going to carry you through the cold months. And it's going to kind of ruin the personality of the place. You're going to, you know, alienate your entire, you know, client, uh, you know, clientele. And you're going to fail. And you're going to run this place into the ground with, you know, eliminating your clientele and um, upping your food costs, experimenting with tapas um, over and over and over and over again. And, you know, we kind of went, you know, you're changing, I'm changing, you know, let's just, you know, agree to disagree. And, you know, I left on good terms. And, you know... That's exactly what I said happened, happened. They banned the smoking. None of the kids came. Um, so you didn't have, like, you know, older brothers bringing their younger kids, you know, younger uh, siblings. Um, the clientele petered out. I, I went there on, like, a Friday night when it should have been, like, standing room only packed, and it was fucking empty. And there were a few of us that used to work there that showed up for some party, some, like, you know, um, previous employees, you know, kind of reunion and we walked in on like that Friday night, that Saturday night or whatever it was, and it was like, holy shit, this place is dead. What's going on? And it turns out, yeah. And then one of the owners uh, just ran the thing into the ground with her boyfriend after uh, the owners got divorced, which I was there for, which was not fun. And she just ran into the ground uh, to the point where her ex-husband had to like get the courts involved for her to release the, the books, the financial numbers, for how bad the business was failing, because she was afraid to show him. Um, it was fucking ridiculous. They ran it right into the ground, like I said they would. And, you know, I sailed away on a wave of mutilation, if I may quote the Pixies, which I got into while working at Paris. Wow, um, we discussed, um, I found out that I was going to have a daughter at Paris. I, I remember sitting on, you know, the patio um, and, and talking to my daughter's mom about that. Um, I'm, I'm making it sound like it was a sad thing, and it's not. Um, but I mean, just, just the overwhelming emotions of like, what's, you know, like I said, long-term relationships, breakups, heartbreak. Um, I remember being at work and I, and hearing that Hunter S. Thompson had committed suicide and breaking down. Um, I remember when, uh, after a night of debauchery, realizing my body doesn't bounce back like it used to. That was a literally sobering uh, moment. You know, me and the girlfriend I was going to, I moved in with. Um, all sorts of stuff. I mean, close friends, close personal friends, where I went to their weddings. Um, I know their kids. I, You know, for a while there, I couldn't go in without knowing someone who I waited on at Paris, or I rang up at Paris, or they knew me from Paris, and we'd run into each other at shows, or, you know, we worked there before. I mean, it was one of those where it, it just, it connected me to the city in ways I never thought of, um, and I was so, so proud of that. So that, that was my time at Paris. I'm sure I'll, I'll think of more things to say about that, but um, it was such a part of me. And oh, so she, the, the owner ran it into the ground, and um, and it's now become some kind of bakery dispensary or, or or the restaurant next to it, like a kind of absorbed part of it for extra seating. Um, I'm not quite sure what happened, but when I heard it was it was going down, uh, and they were closing up shop, uh, I couldn't make it there in time. But I really wanted they were going to knock down a wall, and I wanted a brick. I wanted a brick from Paris on the Platte, a physical reminder of, of everything in my head, um, and I never got it, and that's something that I do regret, but no matter how much that area changes, it never changes my memories of it, um, and all of the wonderful or heartbreaking moments that happened while I was there and shaped me as a person 
creatively, financially. I mean, just, you know, moving out on my own for the first time, That's that happened when I was working there. And then I moved to my first place off of South Broadway, and it was a, uh, I sublet it from um, someone that worked at Paris. So, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have had my first apartment as easily um, if I wouldn't have worked there. So, and that girl now, like, lives... Uh, in the in the mountains with her husband and three kids, uh, doing some kind of weird uh, Jesus Christ God camp thing. Uh, she was never that religious when I knew her. I guess she always was, and she kind of hit it. I don't know. Um, maybe she didn't think it was like super cool to be like super Jesusy, but whatever. I mean, I think a lot of us that worked out were atheists uh, or just jaded, cynical assholes. Um, but man, was it fun and funny, and I still have running jokes, and I still think about them. The people I worked with uh, all the time, um, I always talk about it. I mean, other than it was eight years of my life, and I'm going to have a lot of stories about that. I mean, it's just every so often I go, I wonder what this person's up to, or oh, that was that reminds me of when I did this with that person. So it it shaped me as as a person in in ways that I'm sure I I will think about for the next week and bring up on this episode, which has gone on for longer than I planned. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. So from Dam Doug's Acute Mental Neuroses, I'm Doug. And from Dam Doug's Acute Mental Neuroses, these have been my acute mental neuroses. Um, what do they call that? Memory Lane edition. A stroll down memory lane. Good night, Internet. If you liked this, check out some of our other shows like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.